as I mentioned, as we've been going through an Advent season, it struck me this year that Advent is about the awaiting or, or anticipating of a coming of, a, of someone. And, and as we are anticipating and have gone through the, the process of anticipating uh, the coming of Jesus, it's been mindful this year to me that as the Old Testament saints were waiting for a Messiah, they were waiting for his first coming. We are waiting for his second coming. God has promised that Jesus will come again. And today, we are waiting for that presence, just as they were longing for a Messiah to free them from the slavery of sin, to rescue them. Today, we wait longingly for that second coming of the Lord Jesus. And and, and I want to begin just with that notion this morning, that as we look at the incarnation of Jesus, and there's three things that have hit me as I've been just spending time in the Word, looking to the Lord uh, in this way. And the first is this, of those three, that our anticipation of the incarnation of Christ must be seated with a profound patience. Why? Because God's time is never our time. God speaks so often about his coming as a thief in the night, of coming when we least expect it. And I've been reminded this week that, that God comes when it's the right time. It actually tells us in Galatians that, that he came and when all these things, when the days were fulfilled, he came to Mary. And what a great word that God was waiting for all the days, all the things to be fulfilled. And at the right time, Jesus came. Now, the right time isn't always my time. And even when you open the book of Acts, it starts off. Here's this coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going so that this helper that Paul spoke of, a spirit to empower from on high, a needed helper would arrive. And the book of Acts starts in, in exactly that. Listen to this, Acts 1 and verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given order to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so here's Jesus offering many proofs, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then it says this, gather them together, verse 4 of Acts 1. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. And I love the picture that here now, God is bringing them this anticipation of a, a, a new work. And it starts with this waiting. I, I hate waiting. But again, think about this. How long had they been promised a Messiah and had already been what? Waiting. Now he comes and he leaves. And the very next instruction before he goes, hey, wait again. I mean, how frustrating. Because you could imagine, what are they thinking? Shoot, man, the 
how many years was the last wait? Now, here we go. Lucky for them, it didn't take long, right? All things considered. But you know, when I consider God's time is not our time, I want you to think back as we look at this work of the Spirit in the book of Acts, as we're in an Advent season, I want you to think even of the Gospel of Matthew, which gives us Joseph's perspective of hearing from the angel. Did, did you notice that when Joseph heard this great and glorious promise, that it came as he was preparing, planning to send away his bride. It tells us in Matthew 1 verse 19, it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he'd considered this, what's Joseph doing? He's sitting considering, stoner, send her away secretly, divorce her. What do I do? I mean, can you imagine? Here, he's a righteous man waiting on the Lord in the same way, waiting for the Messiah of the Lord. When does the word of the Lord come? I would have longed for it. Here's my time. <laughs> Heads up, Joseph. Your future bride's going to be pregnant. I just want you to know ahead of time so you don't freak out. That's my time. That's what I want. Here's God's time. <laughs> Already freaking out and trying to figure out what to do with this. Oh, hey, Joseph, I'm in this. I want you to know something. I'm here. God's time is never our time. And when we're looking at the incarnation of Christ, it must be seated with a profound patience in the midst of our anticipation of what God is going to do. Because today we often are in a place and point in our lives where we are waiting on his time. But what we know is this, that God's time is always the perfect time. And so today, as those Old Testament saints waiting for his first coming, and we now his second, and as those, those disciples and apostles were awaiting the work of Jesus, the spirit to be poured out, it started with that sense of a profound patience. God's time is not our time, but his time is perfect. The second thing, and this is where we're going to jump to Acts in chapter 9, because again, what may not seem like an Advent passage this morning, I hope will come clear why God perhaps put it on my heart this week. And that is this, that it too starts with a point and place of waiting. But it also starts with a God who stands to disrupt our lives. And that's what I, if there's anything today, we worship a God who choose to disrupt us, never leave us, never just leave us be in our own way, in our own time, but chooses to stand in our road and sometimes, maybe more often than not, at the most inconvenient time, chooses to appear. It's his time, no doubt. But for me, often 
an inconvenient time. And that disruption is one that ought to lead us not into despair, but into absolute dependency. Let me put that again. God's disruption should never lead us into despair, but into absolute dependency. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3 says this about Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So here now starts a man's journey, and this isn't the start. It's the start of him seeing the truth of the reality of the Lord, and Jesus chooses to show up. And Paul will later, later in, the God, in his epistles write, I was one untimely born because I saw him. I met him. Jesus showed up, and when he showed up, he chose to disrupt Saul's life. He stood in the road. And, you know, again, I want to map back here that when Jesus showed up in Bethlehem, it was with a great disruption. It was with a, a disruption that was a, a righteous man having been engaged to a woman and now found out she's pregnant. Not the disruption you'd ask for. It's a virgin keeping herself pure for her husband and having an angel in Luke chapter 1 disrupting her life. And what? <laughs> oh, by the way, you're pregnant. <laughs> Not leaving them, willing to inconvenience them. For the sake of the move of the spirit that God longed for. Paul now, just as we looked, what's he told to do? I need you to go into Jerusalem and wait. Don't worry, it'll be told you what you are to do. And you know, when Jesus comes, he disrupts our lives. And if I'm honest with you today, I often long for the type of work of Jesus that's non-disrupting. I want the easy way. I want the fits into my plans way. I want the join the flow and here we go way. But when God shows up, when Jesus is incarnate, it's not joining my plans. It's disrupting me and bringing me into his. In the immediate emotion, Here's what I feel, despair. And I love when you go back and don't turn there for time's sake. But in Luke 1 verse 29, it actually tells us that when the angel said, greetings favored one to Mary. Do you know what her response was? It says that she was very perplexed by the statement. Literally, that word means troubled and kept pondering what kind of salutation this is. 
here's here's an angel showing up in glory saying greetings uh like you know one who is highly esteemed what's her response not joy trouble that's the one in me that when god shows up is like you know when god puts a y in the road and the left hand is sucking septic systems for a living and the right hand is surfing ministry in hawaii and i god shows up and my automatic assumption is what right <laughs> sucking septic god doesn't want me to be surfing in hawaii no way so i'm god shows up <laughs> my path is disrupted and now i'm disgruntled and and now i i'm disheartened because i don't know what's going to happen next no when God disrupts our lives, it leads us to a place, and here's where that place is, absolute dependence. God disrupted Moses when he was standing in the desert shepherding a sheep for 40 years when a bush lit on fire met him on his path, and he could not turn away. God disrupted Jonah's life. When Jonah could have been called to any people, any place, he was a prophet of the Lord. And God said, I want you to go in the opposite direction to the very people you don't want to go. I could call you to speak to anybody today. But Jonah, I'm calling you to go to the very people you don't want to speak to. That disruption is... Jesus' arrival in a righteous couple's lives who are engaged, everything is going well, and now they're going to be looked at as sinners, not saints. They're going to be looked on as lesser. Following God is going to take them down a difficult road. That's a disruption. And, and, and Jesus' arrival not only disrupted Saul's life. Here's a man religiously active, fighting for righteousness. God wouldn't leave him there. Willing to stand in his path, disrupt his way, blind him to show him how spiritually blind he had become. But he also disrupted, listen to this. Acts chapter 9, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, verse 10. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, verse 13, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He didn't just disrupt Saul's life. Who else? Now he disrupts Ananias' life and says, by the way, Ananias, there's a man I want you to pray for. Ananias, humanly speaking, rightly afraid and fearful. A persecutor of Christians. Someone with authority to imprison. 
and who stood by as Stephen was stoned in all in hearty agreement. Here's Jesus. Whatever devotion, Ananias, whatever righteousness, whatever songs you've been singing, whatever prayers you've been praying, stop. I've got something for you to do. I want you to go and meet that man and pray for him. First question this morning, do I anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus with a profound patience in the midst of my anticipation? Or have I become impatient? <laughs> Trying to get ahead of God. Second question this morning. Am I willing to embrace God's disruption that leads me to dependency, not despair? I think we could probably sit here and perhaps afterwards, if there's time, share the many ways this year that God has disrupted our lives. For some of us, it's been financial. For some of us, it's been social, as you've been isolated or felt isolated. For some of us, your sense of control has been disrupted. As, as you now feel like there's laws and governments making rules that you have no say in. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's spiritual in which you thought, like Saul, we're on a righteous track and God has stood in your way and stopped you. Or perhaps God has called you. You had a direction and all of a sudden, like Jonah, I give the word of the Lord. <laughs> oh yeah, but now I want you to go to that people. Today, are you in willing to embrace the disruption of the Lord that leads you to dependency? It, without the Lord, despair. But while dependent on the Lord, this divine disruption leads to incredible life. So with a profound patience, we anticipate with a divine disruption, it leads us to dependence. He's always calling us to something bigger than ourselves. That's Mary, Luke chapter one. She says, listen, Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And, and you know, that's the word. Nothing is impossible. How can this be? When God disrupts your life, here's the third thing this morning. God's inviting you not just into the realm of the implausible. God wants to take you into the impossible. Are you prepared to not only embrace the disruption, but the journey into the realm of not just the implausible, but the utterly impossible? That's the work of the Lord. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our midst. 
That's what happened to Ananias. Listen to the Lord's response to him. Lord, what do you mean? This man can imprison. This man has authority. And this man hates your church. But the Lord answered Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name's sake. Do you notice God says, listen, in your eyes, this is an impossible conversion. This is an impossible situation, an impossible circumstance, but by my presence today, here's my call, go. This is the equivalent of Jesus asking Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water. Come to me. This is the equivalent of Jesus speaking, right? God speaking through that burning bush when he said, Moses... Go to Egypt. Here's Moses. I was already there. I was the son of the Pharaoh. I attempted to free my people. I'm considered a murderer, and they were trying to murder me when I left. Hopeless. Here's God. Listen, I'm standing in your path today. This divine disruption is an invitation to bring you into the realm of the impossible. Last time you were there, you tried it on your own strength. I'm taking you there in my strength. This is the, the call to Jonah. God, those people are God haters and God rejecters. Here's God, go. Because I'm the one who's able to turn them into God acceptors. This is the God who, uh, to Jeremiah, and again, I won't read it all for time's sake, but in Jeremiah 32, we quote these verses often, don't we? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Do you know when we quote that verse? We don't quote the verses afterwards, do we? Here's the righteous. Hey, I'm the God of the impossible. What did he just say to Jeremiah? Oh, and I'm handing your people over to the Babylonians. I'm about to send you into slavery. Is that what you think of when you think of the God of the impossible? Do you know what the context of these verses actually are? If you read before in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah has a question for God. God's telling him to do all kinds of crazy things, just like he told the rest of his prophets. And he says to him, God, you're telling me to go and spend my silver and buy land and have a witness. He's telling him to go and make a legal transaction for land on one side and on the other side, here's what he's saying to Jeremiah. Oh, by the way, I'm bringing a horde and an army to come and conquer you and take away the land and lead you away by your nostrils. Doesn't that seem conflicting and confusing? He says, listen, is anything too hard for me? What is impossible for man? What? Possible for God. And, and, and 
as you read on in Jeremiah, I want you to read what he says. 32 verse 36. You are saying about this city, by sword and famine, plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this land and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. Do you know what's impossible here? God was actually in Jeremiah 32 speaking of an impossible hope. Jeremiah, I want you to buy that land, and I want you to have it a witness. Why? Because while I'm allowing this disruption, your people are going to go and be headed to a land in which they will be enslaved. Listen up. While things may seem hopeless in this moment, there's an impossible hope that I'm preparing. And isn't that interesting? God's time is not our time. Often when things seem absolutely hopeless, hope has never been closer than at that very moment. I want you to think of Joseph in that moment. Sitting, pondering what to do with a pregnant fiance and still be righteous. Do I follow the law and let her be stoned? Do I send her away? How, what do I do? What a crisis. If there was a time when you thought things had become hopeless... Can you imagine? Hope had never, ever been closer than that moment in that day. He was about to realize that he was being <laughs> about to be one of the vessels to see the Messiah born. Watching Stephen stoned and the persecution of the church in the book of Acts, things may never, Jesus had left. <laughs> On one hand, things have never been more hopeless and here shows up jesus with an impossible hope i can even turn people like saul ananias come with me if we are to embrace his divine disruption in our lives we must also embrace the invitation into the realm of impossibility That in Jonah's life, the Ninevites can find favor with God. That in Moses' life, God can take you back to a failed battle and bring a renewed victory. An impossible task that when Jesus says, step out of the boat, when he says to Ananias, pray for someone who you think even beyond salvation, depend on me. And I wonder today, have we lost patience for the arrival of the Lord? Have we become impatient? If you feel hopeless right now, hope has never been closer than it is right now. I love Mary's response, and it, it's akin to Ananias. Because again, when the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God, Mary says this, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. 
when God said to Ananias, go. Even though you fear this man, what did Ananias do? Ananias went and entered that house and prayed. They dared to believe the God of the impossible. God, may it be done. I'm all in. Take me where you need me. Lead me today. And I wonder today, what are those things in our lives in which God is beckoning us into the realm of the impossible by his divine dis- presence? Yes, it may start with the divine disruption when God gets in our way, when God inconveniences our lives. And do you know what? I was reading an article today written by someone uh, in, in, in Hollywood circles, let's say, And they were talking about the disruption of COVID-19. And you know what it was talking about? The revelation of how frivolous their social circles. It was like their eyes had been opened, that life had become a grand party with cocktails. And everybody said kind things and loving things and put on the right clothes and wore the right in the right places at the right times. But the moment life got tough, where were those people? Utterly superficial. No one was there when times got tough. And you know what they said? COVID-19 woke me up to the reality. And it was this nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with Christianity, but declaring that this disruption in their life had opened their eyes to the superficial reality that they had succumbed to. And here was their take home. And I want you to hear this this morning. When COVID-19 is undone, which we all pray it will be, if I had the chance to go back, would I? When everything was all good, when everything felt great, when it was all smiles and laughter and drinks at the party. But I've come to find substance amidst the solitude that COVID has provided. I've come to find truth and reality. Not the fake of society that we live in and and here was the take home you know what even if I have a chance to go back I don't want to and when God disrupts our lives and gives us the invitation into the realm of the impossible like Jonah there's an opportunity to run Like Moses, there's an opportunity to say, yeah, I know what you want, God, but I can't speak. I've never been eloquent. Like Ananias, there's an opportunity to say, yeah, but he's too violent. There will always be opportunities to make excuses. But God will always meet those excuses because it's always been about one thing, his presence. You know what I love about the book of Acts? That as much as God was transforming people's lives, even more so, he was opening the eyes to his own people 
to how big he was. He was blowing the box open of what he could do in the realm of the impossible. This is the God who beamed up Philip and brought him to a desert road. And here he finds a eunuch standing on the road reading Isaiah. Do you know what God's word says in the book of Deuteronomy? Any eunuch, anyone disformed, or the person with crushed testicles may not enter the presence of God. Here's Philip beamed into a situation, a man reading God's word, and the next question, can I be baptized too? Mind blown. All of a sudden, the man who is excluded from the glory of God, what? Included. Here's Peter sitting on a rooftop. Sheet comes down with everything unclean and a voice from heaven, rise up and eat. Religiously right. Peter says, I'll never touch my lips to it. What does God say? No, Peter, what God has cleansed. Rise up and eat. Do not call any longer unclean. The next thing that happens, servants of a centurion coming. My master wants to see you. What did Peter know immediately? Wait a second. I thought this gospel was only for the Jews. And now you're telling me that the Holy Spirit can go to the Gentiles too? Boom. Impossible. Made possible. Ananias. Wait a second. Saul, the greatest persecutor of Christians that we know. You're telling me to go and pray for him? When God's spirit disrupts our lives, when his presence comes in, he leads us into the realm of the impossible where whatever happens far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. We have to let go of all preconceived ideas and simply embrace him. And that's as Jesus was born, the first announcement, shepherds, the lowest class of all. A child unto you has been born. Who? They were all expecting the great conquering king of kings. And what came was a baby in a manger. I leave you with these questions. Have you become impatient for the presence of the Lord? Do you feel a season of hopelessness? When hope has never been closer. Today, are you willing and ready to embrace the divine disruption? Are you ready to allow God <laughs> to remove the picket fence, the perfect circumstance of what you were expecting, what you hoped for, what you longed for, what you thought the Christian life would be? Are you willing to embrace the disruption? Humble yourself. As Mary said, as a bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your will. And lastly, am I willing to take that step 
if I acknowledge the presence of the Lord, the incarnation of Christ into the realm of the impossible. And today, that may me going back like Moses was called to conquer things that once seemed inconquerable. It may be as Jonah was called to go and speak to people that seem unchangeable. It may be to provide hope as Jeremiah was called to hope in a time when it seems utterly hopeless. It may be a time in which God is calling you to defeat and a seemingly unconquerable sin. It may be God bringing you to a place to remain hopeful in a relationship that seems impossible or irreparable. What is impossible for God? Nothing when we are attached to his divine presence. If there's anything this Christmas we should affix ourselves to, it is this. That in Isaiah chapter 7, he said, A child will be born and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And today God is with us. Oh yes, he's coming again. But God is with us. The God of the impossible. The great disruptor. And one working in his time for his greater glory. And it all leads me not to despair. That's when I'm in control. And maybe the immediate emotion when I realize I've lost it. But a worshipful dependence when I realize he is in control. Maybe you're still waiting for a conquering king. For God's voice to come in the mountain-shaking storm and earthquake. But where did God speak? In the whisper of a breeze. God arrived in a babe in a manger. And today with eyes wide open, we embrace his presence. While longing yet for him to come again. That's what the Lord's been hitting me with up the side of the head this week. And uh, I hope in any way it's uh, an encouragement to you as God perhaps puts his finger on your heart in what it means to wait for him, to have hope in him and a God who's willing by his presence to bring you into that divine realm of impossibility as we begin to see the possible take shape. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can spend this time and open your word and be challenged. Thank you. Thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices. Thank you that you are willing to shape us, to mold us, and to when needed, disrupt us. Thank you that you use weak earthen vessels so that your incredible treasure of glory might be seen to a watching world. And I just pray this morning, this week, and, and beyond into this coming year that we might allow you to be that God who not only disrupts our lives, who calls us out of the boat, but invites us into that realm of impossibility, that we might dare to hope 
to think, to believe. And we know as the world sees, seeing is believing. And in your kingdom, <laughs> believing is what always leads to seeing. May with full hearts of faith, we come to a God and acknowledge today your impossible love. And today you may call us to love people we've deemed unlovable. Your impossible patience in which you've called us to wait for an incredible glory. Thank you that there is no relationship too beyond your grasp to fix. No life too far gone to heal and to hold. Thank you that today as we gather together, there is no mountain too high, no sea too deep that separates us from you and your incredible love. I just pray that we would be those who are willing in the stormy seas of life to join you and take that step out of the boat to see your miraculous salvation at work, a salvation that only comes by your son. Thank you for your divine providence and a divinity that you've chosen to house in our humanity. What a challenge today to walk in your way, in all abandon, and to say, as Mary said, may it be done to me as you will. Thank you for who you are and where you're taking us, molding us and shaping us as your body of Christ in this community and beyond. And we put it all in your hand in Jesus' name. Amen.